Welcome to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast, where our goal is to provide small business owners and key decision makers with valuable nuggets to help grow or simply improve how you run your business, ultimately looking to increase your profitability. My name is Craig Pollock. I'm the founder and CEO of FPA Technology Services, and I'm your host for this podcast. Do you ever wonder what other business owners are running up against out there? Are you too busy working in your business to work on your business? Do you ever feel like you're in this thing alone? Are you at a crossroad with your business where some new ideas would help? For nearly 30 years, I've been helping companies grow and improve their businesses by leveraging technology, whether it's software, hardware, on-prem, or in the cloud, and at the same time, building FPA into the premier IT service provider in the greater Los Angeles area. This experience has given me exposure to hundreds of businesses and all sorts of systems, and as a lifelong learner has helped me gather all I could about the ins and outs of running a business. And these are the sorts of things I want to share with you on this podcast. Today's guest is going to pull back the curtain and share with us what it takes to increase your sales and grow your revenue by building a successful sales team. Paul Mitchell is not only a highly successful salesman, but also a highly successful sales leader. Paul not only knows what it takes to be successful closing deals, but also has grown and built a number of highly successful sales organizations. Paul works with a number of Fortune 500 companies, as well as much smaller SMBs. He's a sought-after Vistage speaker and currently runs his own consulting firm, Mitchell Sales Advisors, where he works with business owners and CEOs to help them build their own successful sales organizations. All super important stuff these days. So here we go. Here's my conversation with Paul. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Paul. Great to have you here. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Craig. How are you, man? Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, we're in this interesting time right now in between, I guess, in between variants in a way, but, um, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully we're on our way back, but I want to, I want to peel some things back with you. And, you know, like I said, you're you're the man when it comes to building sales organizations <laughs> and leadership and sales leadership and building out your sales processes. Um, I know we worked together a couple of years back and you did a phenomenal job with us. So I'm just, you know, why don't you just start off a little bit with, you know, what you do, how you do it, um, but maybe even just uh, what got you to this place right now with what you're doing. So. Well, th thanks, Craig. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I really appreciated working with you a couple of years ago because I actually learned a lot. I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from the experience. It's, it's humbling that as long as you've done something, how much more you can continue to learn. And that's been such a big part of my experience here over the last couple of years since I started consulting. So I've, um, I've been a, a, I've been a salesperson my whole life. I started when I was 22. I, I sold. I managed sales teams. And and in the last 20, 25 years of, of my my selling my career in corporate America, pretty much, I was working for organizations where I saw myself in a situation where I had to build sales teams. I worked with one company that wanted to build a national sales force and didn't have one. And we had to literally start from scratch and, and figure out the right way to do that. There's a lot of trial and error through that. And, and in doing so, though, it gave me a lot of insight and, and, and information that I needed to be able to help me build sales processes and, and learn. And I moved on to another company with that experience and, and doing it there. It was a company, Agility Recovery in Denver. And I feel like I really honed my skills in that opportunity just because 
what it, you know, what the previous experience taught me is that literally if I would, if I take the time to build a foundation and set up the processes for a sales team, then my work gets so much easier and the growth becomes exponentially higher. Um, in both of those situations, we grew the business. We, we took a 75 year old company that had no national sales and grew them from about 70 million to almost $300 million. Um, the company I, I spoke about, it was a company that we, we, bought from GE for about 25 million and ended up selling it for almost 200 million in, in, in about, you know, about five years later. And what we were able to do in that scenario in that situation is to be able to build a sales team based on the process. It was interesting as we were going through the sale of the company, one of the things that, that, that they really enjoyed about our organization is that we had either built out processes to, to accomplish things or we built out processes for growth. And they saw that already as part of the as part of the system in place. So when they bought the company, they didn't have to start from scratch. They had some things in place. Of course, they were going to make some changes, but the reality is is they had a starting pad. They had a launch pad. And during that time with the company Agility, I was able to work with a, a mentor of mine who was my chairman, a guy named Bill Boyd, who was on the board of other companies, who actually would say, "Hey, Paul, take a look at that company and." tell me what you think we should do. Take a look at this company. He was on the board of about six different companies. And um, in doing that, I was able to further hone my skills of kind of looking at companies that are in challenging selling situations and say, this is what we could do. And this is how we should do it. So it became kind of a, a, a sense of mine to be able to, to walk into places and, and be able to say, these are some of the things we should do. It all started with listening. I remember he told me one time, don't do anything for the first 90 to 120 days, and especially in the, these big organizations. Just go in and listen and learn and start adapting things cautiously as you go, and they tend to stick further. And, and that was a good lesson for me to learn throughout that process. And, and what it led me to once we sold the company, the last one, was to say, how can I do this on my own? How could I work with other businesses and help them, small and mid-sized businesses, organizations that even no matter how large they are, have a challenging sales culture. Um, I'm working with a company right now that's a $100 million company that has grown with one salesperson. And it's, it's fascinating how we've been able to grow over the last two years. Now we're just starting to add salespeople to the team and we're looking at exponential growth to take the company hopefully to about 250 million. So again, the goal has always been to be able to kind of look at the system that's in place, find out what's working, find out what's not, improve what's already working, and of course, improve what's not so we can facilitate growth. So that's been my career. That's been what I've been doing for the last couple of years. And, you know, especially the last three years, three and a half years that I've been consulting has been really, really rewarding. Well, that sounds awesome. I mean, I think, you know, one of the interesting things, at least from, from my perspective, is historically, we always thought of sales as like a, a four-letter word, right? It's almost it's almost a bastard stepchild, I hate to say, right? And almost like IT in some respects, right? It's like you don't get any respect. You only hear about it when it's not working. So I'm wondering, like, what are some of the pain points or what are some of the symptoms that maybe some of, you know, our listeners or CEOs out there might be feeling or might be seeing that might make them think, hey, something's not quite right here. I, you know, maybe it's time to call in somebody like you or, or reevaluate how we're going about our sales approach. Are there any, you know, sort of consistent 
pain points that you've you've seen? Most of it's really obvious. We, we, we've either grown to a certain level and we're not growing anymore. Um, a lot of great companies grow just because they have a great leader, quite honestly, like yourself, and just ends up growing to a certain point and then realizing they've kind of capped that out based on their time, their abilities, their strengths going in other directions. And a lot of companies see that you know, right away and start seeing that that's a challenge. Other companies, one of the challenges that, that I see is them not being um, self-aware enough to look at some of the leaders already in their sales team. Um, most companies move their sales team or in, in, make their sales leaders from folks that are already on the staff or somebody they already know, or somebody they hired that was a friend or a relative, and they end up becoming the sales leader and they've got no experience and, and no real understanding of that. And it's nobody's fault. It just, uh, you know, it comes with the territory. I know I always tell people as I started consulting is, listen, I've just been doing this for 25 years and I've been in the trenches and I've made some mistakes and I can help you avoid some of those mistakes in your company because you're going to have those same growing pains that I went through. Um, do you want to go through that or do you want to bring someone on board that can actually help you through that? and expedite that process. And that's normally what I try to help folks with. It's not that anything's bad or, or, or those type of things or the people that are in place are bad. It just means that they just don't have the same level of experience. And that's what I tend to bring to the table is that just common sense approach of this is, you know, I'll take a look at what you've got. I'll take a look at what we can do and I'll make recommendations and, and uh, hopefully we can work together in those recommendations. So, uh, and, and one of those things goes back to something you just said is, you know, I've been, I've evolved a lot in the last couple of years. And with one of the companies I've worked with, I've, I've learned this selling program that I use. It's called Integrity Selling, which trains leaders as well as salespeople on literally the components of how you should go about selling. And it's fascinating. It's, it's more of a mindset. It talks about behavior styles. And one of the things that it, 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 speaks to is having congruence in a lot of different areas. One of those areas is your view of selling. So many salespeople think I, I'm only successful if I hit my number. I'm only, you know, my job is based on this number. That's a fear-based selling. And that doesn't sit well with, it, with most people's mindset. So what I've been coaching folks to do is to be in congruence in all the things that you do, your belief in your product, your values, your, you know, your, your emotional intelligence, all of those things come together and they're part of who a salesperson needs to be for them to be successful. And so we, we teach that in, 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 in my evolution and how we're teaching that and how I'm working with my clients today, that's played a huge part because a lot of folks, like you said, their view of selling is just negative. It's not a good thing. It's, it's only bad. It's only good when it's good. And when it's bad, it's really bad because it does affect the whole organization. So um, I've tried to coach leaders on that. I've tried to coach salespeople on that. And it's really worked. I've seen it in two companies directly work where it's changed their, changed their mindset and led them to really successful years last year, quite honestly, in the middle of a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, to what you're speaking of, it's sort of been our approach, which is, dare I say, the no-sales sales approach, right? Which is, it's got to it's gotta be a win-win, at least, at least for what we sell, which is a trusted advisor relationship, right? That's, that's what we have. We, certainly, we're selling technical skills and we're selling, you know, help desk and cybersecurity and, and, and whatnot. But at the end of the day, it's all about trust, right? Because what we're selling is a black box, right? It's like, 
most people don't know what IT is. They just know when it's not working. And, and I think that one of the difficult things in developing a sales team, at least what we found, is, is almost like being comfortable in your own skin and being able to walk into a situation. I don't want to say not caring, but not having a quota mentality, right? It's not about closing the sale. It's about how do I make this a win-win? And if it's not a win-win, how do I professionally walk away or help this person have, you know, align with somebody who's better, better able to serve with them? And, and, and to something you mentioned earlier, which was, I think there's a certain level of, of self-awareness needed in any successful approach, any successful career, right? And I think a lot of times sales or sales people, especially historically, it is all about the numbers and it is all about the KPIs and, and people get lost in the goal. And I'm just curious, like, how did you develop this sort of sense that you have? Because I, th I think that's a huge differentiator for you personally is your ability to walk in and, and there's no pressure and maybe it's a certain sort of person, but you walk in with such a calm influence and, and it's, that's a difficult thing to train, to teach, right? So how do you, how do you like, how do you figure out if people have that or, or where does that sit on, on like the characteristic list of successful salespeople? Yeah, it, it really is cultural, Craig. And, and honestly, you know, a lot of a lot of what I gleaned, I gleaned in working with you in terms of that mentality that you had with your organization of how you grew it to the to the place it was is is basically going in and saying, listen, I, I want to hear you. I want to hear what you have to say. If you have a problem I can solve, I'd love to work with you. If not, then that's okay. I'll recommend someone else to you or I'll find another solution. And what I always thought for a long time was that, hey, that's just a cultural thing. And it really is. I mean, if you have leadership that thinks like that, it's so much easier for the rest of the organization to, to work down. And, and as I was taking on my consulting con contracts and, and building out partners, I started looking for companies that thought, thought that way. I shared that methodology. And, and if they wanted to grow that way, then we could grow together. And if they didn't want to grow that way, I'm probably not the right person for them if you just want us to manage KPIs. KPIs are important, but they're important to try to tell the salesperson, if you do these kind of things, if your commitment to your, your, your activities is this, you should see these kind of results. And if you see these kind of results, you're going to do better for yourself and for your family, for the company. And I think that when we met, when we, when we use KPIs that way, then they don't become so daunting. They don't become fearful. But what I really have learned is that so much of this is my, that mindset. And what I'm, what I'm learning is it can be actually learned. It could be understood. As I've been doing this training, and I've done like five or six training sessions with companies the last couple of years, and I've seen the results. I've seen dramatic results in their teams and their activities and their mindset around selling. And a lot of it comes down to the, the concept of, of asking great questions. You know, you, you approach people, you get to know them. You, you build their trust authentically, not because you're just trying to make a sale, but because you truly want to find out more about them. And the difference I've found between good and great salespeople and even good and great leaders are the questions they ask. If you put together great questions, you're in a, you're in a whole different level. And I teach this process called GAP. And the GAP training really says there's logical questions and there's emotional questions. 
Mm-hmm. Let's people right. make decisions based on emotional questions. You 100%. know, if, right. if your current state is here and your desired state is there, what's your risk of staying in your current state versus the benefit of getting to your desired state? Let's talk about that. And let's see if I have a solution that can help you there to get to where your desired state is. And because so many people are so busy right now you know, that they don't have time for that. Think about the desired state where they'd like to be and what they'd like to accomplish. And by asking those questions as a salesperson, we have this exercise in the training. We ask every salesperson in the room, and these are tenured salespeople too. We're asking every salesperson in the room to write down the questions they asked today. 95% of their questions are current state questions. What's going to happen today? What, is, what are you going to do today? What's your problem today? What's your pain point today? Salespeople don't ask those questions, nor do they ever ask the emotional questions, which is why people make their decisions, the why. So when you coach that to leaders as well, the way they work with their teams, as well as how people work with their sales, with their, with their clients, then you start finding your way to a path of, of an opportunity that isn't bound by quota, isn't bound by any of those things. It's bound by providing a wonderful service for your, for your client that meets their needs and allows them to, to put you in that trusted advisor category because you've listened to them, you've acknowledged what they have to say, and you're able to be in a situation where you can solve their problems. I think that's the goal of a selling situation. Right. And, and I think what, what you're describing, though, is, again, this, this person who's, who's pretty self-aware, right, and understands, yeah. um, you know, the connection or, or lack thereof between their actions and, and the KPIs that we're measuring. One of the things that we throw out a lot in, in internally here is uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And, and, yeah. uh, you know, and and it it sounds all lofty and all that, but but that's really the reality is you know people want to know that you care about them, and, and and you know it's not just about the solution, it's not about you know selling and KPIs, and I think that there's this. With KPIs, they're great, and you know, you know, we have a ton of them, and we measure a ton of things. But but there is this disconnect between measuring a number and, and the mindset around that measurement, right? And some people, and I think a lot of people, get caught up in that. That's my driver. That's my goal. I have to hit these numbers, and and it clouds your success, right? And and I've always felt like. It's great to measure. And again, we do constant measurements. We have KPIs, you know, that are are crazy, but but it's just information. It's, it's, it's understanding, you know, the value of the information and what it tells you and what the story it paints for you. So I, I guess I'm curious, like, you know, how do you, how do you get a sales organization that's come from, you know, a pretty hardcore you know, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, sort of, you know, here's your steak knives, here's your Cadillac, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I need to hang the carrot in front of you versus the, the empathetic understanding trusted advisor sort of approach. How, how do you bridge that gap in the training process? Oh, it, it starts with leadership. It starts with leadership buying into that concept of saying, this is where we're going to go forward. And, and, and to your point, the self-awareness to know that what we're doing right now isn't working and it's not going to accomplish what we want to moving forward. I think that's the most important part of what I can do to help a sales team is to be able to get leadership to understand culturally that 
that that's that's a losing proposition if you continue going down that path. That's part of the reason probably why you're talking to me is because you've been going down that path too focused on KPIs, too focused on the numbers. I worked with this one company where it was an outsourced company that we worked with. And he said, he would always say to me, well, tell me who's messing up and I'll go kick their butt. You know, and he didn't, of course, use the word butt, but I was, was like, no, I, I, that's not what I want you to do. That's, that, that, that defeats the whole purpose. Here's, here's what we're trying to accomplish here with these things and help them understand what success looks like and help build that out for them. And, and it truly is what you said earlier, the mindset, the things that you're doing. It's, it's like if you create a mindset that's around authentically serving the client and understanding what, what needs to happen with them and, and, and listening to them, then you get to this place culturally where you're not selling, you're just solving problems. And, and it really comes down to, you know, one thing we teach is behavior styles is we need to understand the kind of person we're talking to is it, you know, and if you understand the person you're talking to, then you put yourself in that, in that category that differentiates you. And then, and by doing that, you adapt to them. So it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of understanding. And by teaching that concept, it can, it can be throughout the whole organization, adapting to the behavior style of the person you're talking to. You know, there's a golden rule that says treat people the way you want to be treated. Well, this rule is more of a platinum rule that says treat people the way they want to be treated because people believe what they learn for themselves. So if you will, if you ask them questions and let them kind of talk through where they're at, where, where they want to be and how it affects them emotionally, they will come to you specifically pretty much with the solution that they need. Now, whether you can offer a, uh, an answer to that solution or not is a different, different, different thing we have to deal with. But um, being authentic about whether or not that's, I can give you that solution and here's what we can do or not makes all the difference in the world. And it takes away the whole concept of selling and that mindset that you're talking about that has to start with leadership and carry out throughout the rest of your organization. Because as soon as the leader goes back to the KPIs and walks up to him and says, hey, you know what, you're not making your numbers, you're not doing this, you're not doing these calls, you're not doing all of that stuff without dealing with the mindset aspect of it, then you've lost them. You've lost the whole purpose of what you've put together. So it's so important for me to say, this is the kind of coaching I'm going to do. This is the way I want to teach. I need your support in it. I need you to understand it and be a part of that teaching so that you can actually support it with the team moving forward. So, so you know, help that me. Yeah. To me is the way you get past that. So help me understand like um like a typical engagement with you. What does that look like? How how long? What is your role? Sure. Um I know, you know, we've thrown around different titles, outsource VP of sales, fractional VP, um, fractional sales manager. What what is what does an engagement look like with with Paul Mitchell? Sure. So what it normally starts with is for the first 90 days, just literally fact-finding, helping build that culture, starting to get into doing workshops to understand what the value proposition is with the company, understanding what, what they're trying to do. I know for you, Craig, you had done a lot of that work up front. So um, you had a lot of that stuff in place, which was, like I told you, was very unique in organizations that I talked to. They don't have, they didn't have the same kind of information, hadn't done the work that you've done already about your business and you knew it so well. Most companies just don't have that, don't do that. So we usually go through a workshop to do that. And then I normally go through some of the sales training to change, help understand the mindsets of the team and who's who's capable of doing the kind of work that we need them to do moving forward. Because part of the first 90 days is unfortunately kind of a vetting process to say who who's capable of doing this work and who's not. 
who's interested in being this type of a person in this in this new culture and who's not. And because there is there are salespeople that can't adapt to that mindset. Um, they can't humble themselves to say, I'm going to be self-aware, I'm going to listen to other people, and I'm going to try to put their needs together. So for the first 90 days, we spend time doing that. For the next 90 days, we usually spend time starting to implement some of that and seeing how that works and, and making adjustments and learning based on the type of business it is. You see, you know, right now I'm working with two companies. One's a, about a $70 million fintech company, and the other one's a large janitorial services company that's about $100 million. The fintech company, because we did so well last year, based on the training, was valued at almost $600 million based on the market moving forward. So the reality is, is that a lot of it is the systems we put in place that add the value to these organizations. And and part of that was in, the, in those second 60 days, you know, 90 days, there's not a whole lot of progress that goes on. And a lot of the, 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 the companies start getting a little worried. Is this working? Is it making sense? And the reality is, is you're still building out. You're implementing the stuff that you just taught and you started getting people to go. And you're trying to get people to change and adjust their mindset based probably based on something they've never known or done before. So that by the second half of that year, you can start actually start seeing things happen. And that happened in both of those companies that I'm speaking with. And, and it's interesting, you talk about, you know, your engagements. I, you know, when I first started working with you, I was, I was dead set. I'm going to work with people for a year and that's it. Well, both of the engagements that I have right now are going on three years. They just don't want me to leave. And we keep finding new things that we can do moving forward to continue growing the business and, and, and adapting to it. And, you know, one, we just hired three new people to be able to grow their sales team. At another, we hired a whole outsource team to go out and sell, you know, small to mid-sized businesses while they have an enterprise team selling large stuff. So we continue to evolve and modify as we're, as we're, we're growing and we continue to do training around all of that. So, you know, typically my engagements are a year. Um, it's been interesting these last couple of years, especially through the pandemic, where um, companies wanted me to stay on board and continue continue the good work that's going on and and uh, focus on training and, and kind of building out the teams the way they should. So it's kind of evolving into something different based on what's happening. So what I end up doing sometimes is doing small 90-day engagements to kind of give people a blueprint on what they can do, especially if they have sales leaders. So I've been doing some of that. I've been going in and just doing the integrity sales training, which is a two-day training with an eight-week follow-up, where I just do that for their sales team based on their capabilities and their and their willingness to, to focus on that type of selling. So all of that together, I think, is what really com- comprises what I do, which includes you know primarily those one-year engagements to be able to build out the sales force and give everybody a blueprint moving forward. And the goal normally is to hire someone to replace me, to bring someone on board to say, here's your leader, here's the culture we've created, and here's how that leadership is going to move forward with you. We want to hire someone who's aligned with that, who knows knows what we're trying to accomplish and can continue that leadership focus moving forward. Yeah, that's what, you know, what I was, what I was hearing when you were talking about it was, you know, the old parable of, of teaching a man to fish, right? And that's, that's really what you do in the, in the sales leadership vein is, is teach people to fish and then move on to the next, next engagement. I'm wondering, you know, you brought up the recent times and the pandemic and everything that's going on. Have, have you seen changes 
I mean, certainly I know I have, but I'm just curious, like what sort of changes have you seen in these organizations and both positive and negative, you know, how did people react? I, I know from our perspective, we were really concerned when, when the pandemic hit and how are, you know, again, going back to this, this, this concept that we're a trusted advisor and that we're basically selling trust and belief in us. And how can we sell that virtually when it's all about the handshake and it's all about, you know, reading body language and talking to people in person. And that went away. It was, it was a concern. We, we certainly, you know, work through it and, and are doing better than ever, but I'm just wondering what you're seeing out there in that similar sort of vein. Very much the same. As you, as you know, I, my first thing, Craig would be coming and say, I'm going to come in and spend four, you know, four hours, at least four hours a week in your office, sitting down with you, sitting across your desk, going over updates all the time. And, and meeting with folks. So I would dedicate a certain amount of time in the office with any new engagement. And there, when the pandemic hit, I had four clients and three of them said, let's go on pause. The other one said, let's reduce what we're going to do for a while and just kind of see what's going to happen. And so mm-hmm. I just kind of started retooling. And that's when I started getting involved in the training programs and things that I started thinking about what would be of value if I'm going to be in this virtual world for folks moving forward. And, and, you know, that really worked. I, you know, I could, I couldn't keep doing the same things that I was doing, which was a lot of what you said, a lot of, a lot of what I thought I benefited from is I could sit across with someone and explain to them what I could do to help them. And um, that kind of all went away. So I had to add value in a different way saying how we could, how we could create virtual workshops, how we could create virtual trainings, how we could, you know, uplift the teams in, in doing things and then still work with you to be able to understand exactly what needs to be done to get started. So I think it, it changed a lot. But I also, in my mind, it, it I started having clients in other states. People were hearing about me and saying, hey, I'd love for you to work. I, I worked with a client in Louisiana. I worked with a client in New York, a client in, in Wisconsin. All these folks started hearing about me through 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 my uh, connections and started wanting to work with me. And there was no barriers where I started off saying I can only work with Southern California companies. And I started working with organizations and doing training and things like that for companies all over the country. So it kind of opened up a whole world for me that I didn't have before. And, and once I got certified in these training programs, I'm a certified sales leader. So I can train sales managers and I'm, I'm sort of certified to sell, do integrity sales training. So once I started doing those kind of things, it started opening up world where people were saying, you know, can you come out and do this for us? Can you help us for the next 90 days? And, you know, quite honestly, I got so busy where, you know, I, I'm just not, I'm not working with as many clients as I used to just because um, the work that I'm already doing. And it's really rewarding and it's gratifying and it's, um, it's actually grown, you know, almost twice as much as it was prior to the pandemic. So it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating the difference it made, but the opportunities it opened up for, for someone like me. And I mean, I see that all around Sim- similar sort of situation where we're, we're, we're getting opportunities for clients. And, and I think it's changed, you know, that the paradigm has changed and people's mindset has, has opened and shifted around that. Right. I mean, one, it, it sort of, it, it forced things, right. It forced us to be virtual. It forced us to be in zoom when we otherwise wouldn't have, but then it also forced us to accept it and move on. Right. And, and, you know, what are the positives here? So, so that being said, I'm wondering, you know, 
what do you think are, are, are like good characteristics of a good sales leader? I, I think it would be important to understand like the key characteristics of a successful salesperson and then key characteristics of a successful sales leader. And you mentioned sometimes, you know, I think it's, you know, right. The Peter principle, we promote up and we think, Hey, he's great at sales. So he should be great at teaching other people and managing other people. And then you find out, Oh, I should have, I should have left him in sales. He was really good at that. So are, are there any, you know, key characteristics that you could sort of define between the two roles and then maybe how you think maybe that the change in the paradigm with, you know, the virtual stuff has, has that changed what, what sort of constitutes a good salesperson and a good sales leader? Yeah. I, I think the best leaders that I've worked around with are sales leaders and leaders in general, you know, are, are empathetic. They, they understand, they, they, they learn to, to be empathize, empathize with the folk, what their folks are going through because they've either been through it themselves. Sales is really hard. It's not easy. Sales is hard. You have so, to be comfortable getting a lot yeah. of no's. Like yeah. You have to, and, you, and you've got to understand that some organizations you go into, they, most of the people in the organization don't understand it. Most of the people just expect a salesperson to be good at what they're doing and don't realize how, how, how many no's you get, how many, how many pushbacks you get, how, how challenging it is just to keep your emotional intelligence in the right framework. So that empathy, that emotional intelligence uh, by a sales leader, to me, trumps all the skills that you think someone needs to learn. The skills you can teach them, the leadership skills, the the KPI tracking and and all of that stuff. But being empathetic and and and, and having the emotional intelligence to understand when to push your sales team versus when to kind of step back and, and say, listen, I'm supporting you. Let's figure out the right way to do this is a really important thing that I see in, in the best leaders. The ability to ask great questions. I, I go back to that. The ability to ask people how they're feeling. It's funny, um, this one organization got a $4.6 million sale and the client came back to them and the client was Lockheed, a huge aerospace company that said, we did, chose you guys, not because your price was low, but because you were the only ones who really asked us how we felt. You asked us how the process was, what we wanted to accomplish. You're the only ones that ask us those questions. Everybody feels that way. I don't care if you're a salesperson. I don't care where you're at. If you ask people great questions and you're you're listening to them, you're actively listening, not thinking about the next question you're going to ask, you're going to be a much better leader and you're going to get more out of your people that way. And I think if you do that, your team start emulating that. They start emulating that in their activities and the things that they do. They start becoming empathetic towards their clients. They start listening to them. They start, you know, coming back with, hey, these are solutions for my client that's going to make them, help them solve the problems that they're looking to do. And I think that's, if you do that from the top down, if you do that from, from the leadership, it's going to carry into your sales team. You know, attitude reflects leadership. And, and in so many ways, if you have that empathetic, emotional intelligence, you know, you've got to have commitment to activities. You know, you got to do what you say and say what you do and what you're going to do. And so you've got to be committed to that. All of those things have to be part of that leadership scale. And if it's there, it tends to flow down into the folks that you have. And you can and you can talk to them. It's no different than talking to your child. It's, you know, your, your children tend to watch more what you do versus what you say. So if you're doing the right things and you're, do, you're treating them a certain way, that's going to flow down. And, and, and quite honestly, I found that the folks that don't make it can't adjust to that or don't want to adjust to it. It's not in their DNA. 
and they tend to almost self-select out. You know, there was a always in my training. I talk about a book written by a guy named Tony Dungy called Quiet Strength, and he always. I was a football player in college, and the football coaches were just so mean. They would always say. They, they, they said things to try to motivate you, but they were just so hard on everybody. And, you know, you just kind of had to overcome it. It just kind of was the way it was. Well, Tony Dungy said, I'm not going to coach that way. I'm going to treat these men like men. And I'm going to expect them to do certain things. And some of them are going to self-select out because they're not going to be able to be responsible. But I'm not going to treat them as if they're wrong and, and, and if they're if they're bad just because they made a mistake. I'm going to help them get better, make sure they take care of their family and focus on the things that they can do good to help this team win. And I think that's really the, the same, the, the quality of, a, quality of a, the best leaders that I've seen is to be able to lay that foundation, say this is what's expected of you, help coach to that, give people the tools to get there. It's a lot of work up front. I can't tell you, it's a lot of work up front. But when you do it, it sets the tone for everything else you do as a leader and within the organization and others tend to follow suit. Yeah, I think you you know you touched on something, and 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 actually, you know, it's interesting because when I when I was framing the question and and thinking about the question, I was I was sort of expecting a certain sort of answer, right? And and your answer number one was empathy, right? Which I, I think most people, most business leaders, would think I get it and I understand it, and certainly more the more well-read and, and current would totally get it. But I also think there's, a, there's probably a pretty large faction out there who, who wouldn't put sales and empathy in the same bucket, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, no, but to be a leader, there, there's, there's no question you, you have to have empathy. You, you have to be able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes and, and, and feel what they're going through and help them be yeah. successful, right? And I think one of the words that you touched on earlier was humble, right? Yeah. Which is, is another, uh, maybe a different sort of funhouse mirror of empathy, right? It's, yeah. it's similar yet different, right? But, and, and it, all of these go together with, with empathy, humble, and self-aware. And, and all of yeah. these are characters or characteristics of, of the person, and they're not necessarily they're not things that you can train, certainly not short-term. You can, you can expose people to, and hopefully they get it and see the connections. I, I, I'm curious, like, how do you build an empathetic or humble, driven sales organization if the leadership who hired you, who brought you in, don't really have those sort of characteristics, mm-hmm. right? They, they're thinking, look, our sales are faltering. We need to do something. We need to improve this. I don't know what, so I need to hire a professional to help me get that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, now Paul comes in and takes over. How does, how does Paul engage a, a leader who maybe, you know, isn't strong in, in empathy and, and yeah. humbleness? to understand that that's sort of the, the culture that that's needed to be successful. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, can you adapt to this? Be a part of the teaching that I'm going to do with the team. Can you adapt to it? And if you can adapt to it, just don't hurt it. So if you can't adapt, excuse me, if you can't adapt to it, don't hurt it. Don't harm it because it's in your best interest to allow this to work out because that's, what's going to grow the organization. That's what's going to grow the business. And what I find is, and you know, it's funny that it, one company that I'm working with eventually kind of 
started off and said, well, we don't need training. People should know what to do like that. People should be hired and know what to do. And it's like, we'd love that to be the case, but that's just not the real world. Especially if we want them to do things a certain way. If we want them to be empathetic, we want them to be humble. If we want them to be self-aware, we're selling a, a service here that is all about helping the marginalized. So let's make sure that we're, we're presenting it that way. You know, make, let's make sure we're presenting it in a way that, that our, our clients are going to know we are speaking, we, we are practicing from our own hymnal. So the reality is, is that in doing that, normally what will happen is either they'll acquiesce to it because they see it working and they'll understand what, what matters. And if not, I ask them just to step aside and, and not, you know, not, not do anything to harm what we're trying to build. Um, if they're not in that situation. And, and you know, I know of a couple of leaders I've worked with, one recently that literally just kind of stepped aside and said, I can't adapt to that right now. But after he saw the the, benefit, the, the work from it, he's like, I, I, I get the training. I get it. I get it. And now he may not be able to adapt to it and carry it out himself, but he gets why it works. He understands it. And I think the proof ends up being in that success. And seeing people there, seeing people retained in the organization, people don't have to stay in their jobs. We all know how people are just literally leaving jobs they're not happy with these days. So part of this kind of authentic training helps people feel good about what they're doing, why they're doing it. And that means as much or more to a lot of the folks in the workforce today than does the actual money that they're making. So being able to teach this and, and show this and have an organization that supports it, to me, is the way to the future because that's the way pe what people are looking for. People aren't, aren't taking jobs that aren't fulfilling them, and there's no reason for them to do that. I admire that, but we should also adapt what we're helping people with through those attributes of empathy, humility, um, understanding the commitment to activities. All of those things fall hand in hand. We just have to, we just have to work, work with that, with the folks that we have. Right. So many, so many things to peel back there. One, yeah. one of the things that you talked about, though, is somebody, somebody saw a problem in terms of, hey, our revenues, our sales are not where they need to be. Okay. I, I think the way to address this is to bring in an expert, i.e. Paul Mitchell, to help me solve that problem. Okay. Paul comes in with a recommendation and the client goes, well, I don't know that we need that. Right. They're, you're already they're they're they are already sort of uh what i like to say is playing doctor to themselves right it's like well if you knew that that's not the right way then you know what is the right way and why didn't you just do it yourself um and not to be nasty but it, it seems like there's a lot of people that again there's that disconnect with the self-awareness and the humbleness to, to understand that hey maybe i don't know what the answer is Right. And, and hence coming back to that, that trust equation, right. It's like, you need to trust that I'm going to take you to success. Right. And here are the methodologies. Here's the way that we're going to do it. You know, blah, blah, blah. doesn't mean that it's cookie cutter. It's always the same, but there should be an implicit trust that you're hiring somebody to solve this problem. Um, and, you know, maybe it's the, 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 the really smart people who almost always get in the way of themselves, right? And they, they, they're sort of their own carburetor of their company, right? They're limiting the growth because they think they know what the solution is or they know what the solution isn't, but they're almost getting in the way of themselves. Do, do you see that often with leadership? Oh, 
so much more more than not. I mean, that's why, honestly, Craig, I said that when I first sat down with you and started working with you, I think I used to say to you, man, you don't realize how different you are. You don't realize how you know, the way you prepared and the way you treat your people and the way you built your business is so much more different. I see why you're successful. And, and it really is more of folks that kind of are getting in their own way, believe they know better. Um, and, and not, I do one thing good. I do sales. I can build sales foundations. I can do good. I'm not going to come in and try to tell you how to do other stuff in your business. Cause you're, you're, you're the man when it comes to that. But the reality is, is that if you're going to bring someone on to help you with your sales, let them help you with your sales and listen to what they're trying to do. You've got to humble yourself. You can't, you know, give them the information so they can come back to you with a recommendation. And, and I've been really fortunate that the people that I work with and, you know, that, that, you know, that I've been able to, and, and I've, trust me, I said, this is probably just not a good fit to some people. This is, this is not a good fit and we probably shouldn't work together. Here's what I would recommend you do and, and leave it at that. But for the ones where there is a good fit, it's normally those that are a little humble, a little more self-aware willing to kind of say, you know, here's what I have, what would you do with it? And and take that information and then make a decision whether or not it's good for them and for their company. Um, so yes, it's it's there's there's more out there than not. And that's why there's so many companies that struggle with growing their sales team when they get to a certain level because they think they know exactly what they should do. And quite honestly, the, there's right now there's over a hundred and probably fifty sales acceleration advisors out there that are helping people through that, helping them understand that. And, and until we started doing, I think when I started, there were like 50 or 60 of us. And, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a source to do that. And so companies kind of had to push through on their own, figure it out themselves, or go try to hire a sales sales leader. And there's, there's a challenge in that because you're paying someone a fairly significant amount of money without really knowing they, they're capable of doing it. And, and unless you pay someone, a, a, you know, a lot of money, you probably have gotten someone who doesn't have a lot of experience rebuilding sales forces and doing some of the things that I'm talking about. So, you know, our, our solution for a lot of companies ends up being for the same money you would pay someone who's, who you would hire full time. You can hire someone with 25 years experience to get some real insight on what you should do to move forward. And I think that's, that's the benefit. And that's what, you know, I've seen, the benefit I've been able to help where things just come naturally to me because I've done them. I've beat my head against the wall. I've seen, I've seen the mistakes I've made and I've learned from them. And, and, you know, I'm fortunate when I'm continuing to evolve so that I know that, you know, as we move forward, even in this virtual world over the last couple of years, we have to do things differently than we used to before. You know, the, the concept of asking great questions, I'm sitting here on Zoom. If I don't come prepared, I can come here with a pre-call plan and you would never know it. I'm not, I, you, I don't have to sit across from you. I can have a pre-call plan with, 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 with logical and emotional questions all laid out. So I'm prepared to talk to you. And in doing that, I'm showing the greatest amount of respect to you because I'm saying to you that I'm prepared. I've learned about you. I've, I've learned about your company. And here's some questions I'd like to find out so that I can find, if I can, if I can find a way to help you in the way you need to be helped. And I think in doing that, you know, in, 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 in doing that now on Zoom and the way we're structured, it adds so much value um, to what we're doing. We have a whole inside sales team we've built in Milwaukee of young people that have never sold before. We're teaching this methodology to, and they increase their sales every single month 
because they're just teaching it the right way and they're able to just basically follow this process of almost like following their heart by asking questions to say, and here's how I can solve your problem or here's how I can. And I think that's critical. Uh, I mean, and I love what you're talking about and what you're doing, which is almost changing, you know, the, 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 the approach to sales, right. And changing it to be more of a, a value added, uh, process than just, okay. You know, what, what do they say? You know, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Right. And so if you're a salesman who's just out there beating the bushes saying, I need to sell X, as opposed to, I need to find clients or I need to find companies who are, who are looking to solve a problem that we solve. Now let's figure out if, you know, if we solve it optimally, right? If it's, if it's cost-effective, it, it makes sense and really adds value to what you're doing. Um, and, and I think that that's, you know, turning it, turning the world on its head in a way in terms of sales and sales process. It really is. And it's fascinating how, how, how few people do that. I mean, I, I, I used to, always teach myself team of mind and I felt I was being really empathetic and trying to find I would always teach find their pain point solve their pain point it would always be the current state pain point it would always be what's hurting you today it wasn't about what's hurting you what could hurt you six months from now if you don't do it you know what's what's the future going to look like if you don't do it what's the future going to look like if you do what's the benefit of it if you do how's that going to make you feel how's that going to help you look in your organization and that's that's from the top down. You know, I, I, I believe as a leader, as a sales leader, we can ask our salespeople those questions. What's it going to look like in six months if you do these kind of things? If your commitment to activity is like this, what are you going to feel like? What, what's the benefits going to be to you and your family? That's in every, that's in totality of our lives. I mean, imagine going to, to parties and sitting down with people and just asking them questions and listening. And Adam Grant has a wonderful book called Think Again. Everybody mm-hmm. should read it. It just reminds us that there's a joy in being wrong. Sometimes it's okay to listen to people and find out you're wrong and that I can, I can do things differently based on what I just learned, the information I just gathered, and how do I adapt to that? And, you know, and I coach that a lot in a lot of the, with, with the leadership set and leaders that I talk to and to, to the sales teams that I talk to. And that, listen, is, you know, we have to evolve. I'm, I've been selling for I don't know how long, and I continue to learn from each and every one of you every time I talk to you. So how do we how do we do that in everything that we do with our with our people in our organization, with our clients? It just should be in our DNA. It doesn't right. mean you know right. selling isn't. I should you shouldn't have to get up today and say I'm I'm selling. No, I'm just treating everybody the same way they're supposed to be treated, mm-hmm. and that's that's all I'm doing. I think it's interesting what you what you're talking about there because one of one of I don't know. It's it's not really one of my pet peeves, but it's one of my maybe annoyances, certainly <laughs> around the company, which is uh, three words that I throw out all the time is, I don't understand. Yeah. Please, you know, tell me again. Try to explain this no. to me. Um, no. I think so many people are afraid to say, I don't understand. Help I me understand, understand what you're saying, whether it's ego or, you know, you're supposed to understand. Okay, well. You know, I, I'm missing, you know, I'm the idiot you're, in the room. You're, you're the, you're the <laughs> okay. boss. I know, you're the boss. You're supposed to tell me, you know, that kind of, I know. I and, and I got caught in that cycle myself a lot as a leader, thinking that I got to have the answer. Someone mm-hmm. comes to me and, and to your point, I mean, it's it's so brave 
to ask, to say, I don't understand. Help me understand. And that, that changes the whole dynamic of the conversation. And um, it gets to the core of what the issue really is. And uh, I agree. I mean, we don't do that enough. We don't, we don't ask that enough. And I've learned over the last couple of years, specifically, to start doing that more, to dig deeper. Sometimes it's almost like laziness. You just want to get rid of it. You just want to answer the question and move on because i got something else on my mind I've got to do. But it takes that, that, it takes that understanding and that true, true empathy and caring to be able to ask those questions and listen, listen authentically to the response. Yeah, I, and I think that's huge. And that, that really does drive the difference between people who are super successful and, and people who are, you know, oftentimes people are successful by luck and they don't realize that it's not, it, it's not repeatable because, you know, yeah. and, and maybe that's an easy, an easy out to say he's really lucky, mm -hmm. but it might be that he might have a process and he might have things really dialed in but not even be aware that he has a process and it's dialed yeah. in. It's just sort oh. of innate. And so if you ask him to repeat it or, or something changes, he, he, he can't flex because he yeah. doesn't understand the background of, of how he's doing what he's doing or why he's successful other than I'm super successful. You make such a great point. No, when I do this training, most of the people, especially the salespeople that have been selling 15 years or so, they'll say, I've done these things, but I've just never done it in a process. I've done these things in different ways and in all different ways, but they've never been structured like this. They've never been something that I've documented and goes kind of step by step and understand why I'm doing it and, um, and understand the mindset behind it, the thought process behind it. And uh, so once you, once you can navigate that and outline it for yourself, you start getting more clarity as to what it is. I mean, when it, one of the things I say to everybody, there's four traits of a successful salesperson. The first one is strong goal clarity. And I say to everybody, I ask them the question, I say, how many people have in this country have strong goal clarity? And they're like 50%, 40%. I said 3%. 3% of the people have strong goal clarity. So if you have strong goal clarity, you're going to differentiate yourself from 97%. And you know what? That strong goal clarity is going to give you confidence when it comes to your commitment to activities. You're going to feel so much better about your activities moving forward, and it's going to help your help your emotional intelligence because your emotional intelligence you're going to be more confident because you know what you're trying to accomplish. So let's start with defining what strong goal clarity is, and, and let's develop goals for ourselves that we write, we look at, we, we hold ourselves somewhat accountable for, but not beat ourselves up with. That goes back to emotional intelligence. Goals aren't meant for something to be negative. They're meant for something to be motivating you and help you build confidence in what you're doing. And, and I think when you teach salespeople those kind of things and, and make them aware of that, listen, you, just by creating goals, you're going to differentiate yourself from most of the other people you're competing against just by yeah. doing that. I, I think First that's step. great. Right. And, and I think a lot of people are afraid, you know, one of the words too that, that drives me crazy, right? At the beginning of the year, New Year's, you hear all this talk about New Year's resolutions. That's right. <laughs> I never do. I, I don't have resolutions. I don't talk to people. I, they say, what's your resolution? I say, I don't, I have, I have goals and maybe yeah. I have a new goal for this year, but a, a resolution and certainly from history will, will teach us, right? It's like, I don't know what it, what, what's the statistic, right? For everybody who makes a resolution, you know, 99% of them don't aren't doing it by the end of the year, right? It's not by the this, end of the month, you know, so a resolution, you know, 
that's not the same. A goal is, is, you know, certainly a smart goal specific and measurable and everything else related to that. Um, you know, without that, you're, you're, you're sort of just spitting in the wind and hoping for the best, right? Hope is not an action item. That's I, I heard somebody say that once. And I, I love that from a project management standpoint, hope is not an action item. You know, complaining is not an action item, writing down, this is the goal. This is what I'm going to do. And, and going back to what you said, and you said this a couple of times and, and I don't want to let it go. Um, commitment to activities. I think that's such a great, great long. I, I mean, it, it's, it's simple yet so effective, right? It's like a lot of people don't understand the activities and, and, you know, how you back into, well, if I need to close this many deals, I need to have, you know, what's my closure rate. I need to have this many proposals. I need to back into this many deals to have, or not deals, but this many meetings to have this many proposals. Therefore I need to have this many conversations, which means I need to have this many leads, blah, 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 blah. That's all, that's just mechanics, right? That's and it's just mechanics. math. Yeah. Um, yeah. But coming back to your commitment of activities, right? Like we can say you need to dial 40 times and people don't understand why that is, or I need to have 20 meetings in the month, or I need to have, you know, I need to add 10 new contacts to my contact list every week. It's, it's easy as a leader to throw those things out there and then they just become KPIs, but it's getting people to buy into them and understand. And, and again, I think without oversimplifying it, that, that concept of commitment to activities, I think is huge. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it, where, where it does really that sit is. for you? Oh, it, 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 it's, it, you know, it's funny. Cause when I read the, read that part of it, it's a commitment all activities. I always circle the all because I remind everybody it's not about commitment to things you like or and the things that you just enjoy doing. It's commitment to all activities. So we ask a salesperson every time they have a call with a client to do a pre-call plan. I don't care if you have 10 different calls with them. Each time you get on, you should have a pre-call plan. And that pre-call plan outside outlines the call objective and your statement of intent. Be caring enough about your client to give give them your statement of intent. This is why we're talking today. We're talking about the pricing today. We're talking about, I, I want to spend today just to get to know you and learn more about you and your company. Um, I want, you know, this is what the purpose of our call is today. And then create questions that you're going to ask so that you know that you're, you're going to be able to try to gather information to see where you can help them. And then from once you're done with that call, you do a post-call analysis and determine what it is that went well and what the next steps are. If you don't have a valid next step in a sales call, then you're basically dead in the water. You don't know what's going on next. So if you don't have that, that call continuum going, then you've not committed to the activity. It has nothing to do with what you just said, KPIs, number of calls. I don't care if your number of calls is, if, if, you, if our KPIs say you gotta have 10 calls and four meetings. Well, if you have two meetings and they're really good and they can actually lead to sales and you're, you're your, your close ratio goes up because you're doing all of these things up front, your commitment to the activities is higher, you're still going to hit the number you're supposed to hit. That has nothing to do with it. Has, committing to those activities means you're always going to be committed to doing the things you need to do to move sales along and, and to improve the process. So I think that's the goal. That's the intent when you talk about commitment to activities. It's, it's not 
It's not how many calls I need and how many proposals I need to put out and all that stuff. It's basically, am I going to do a pre-call plan on every call? Am I going to do a post-call analysis? Am I going to be prepared so the client sees how much I care about them on every one of my calls so that they see how important they are to me? Every time, instead of most salespeople, they practice when they get on their sales call. That's when they, they get on. They don't have, they don't, they don't have any, um, any understanding of what they're, what, what they're going to completely ask. They just start peppering off questions and don't really know where it's going to go. And doing that planning is part of that commitment to activities. And you continue going on, whether you're in the demonstration or presentation and the negotiation. You know, we teach folks that in, in the objection area where they say handling objections, most people hear an objection from a client and it scares them to death. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to. I mean, it's like a negative thing. That's an opportunity to negotiate. If your mindset is right, if, and that's what you try to teach, if your mindset is right, that's just an opportunity to, to, to be able to grow closer to your client and really understand how they're feeling so that you can help them. That's the purpose of, of, of discussing an objection or a challenge. You, you should be thankful that they're bringing it to you. A lot of calls just die because the client has an objection and doesn't even want to talk to you about it. They're, 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 they, they don't even want to bother, bother to bring it up. They just ghost you and don't call you back. So all of those right. things are all about mindset. You know, they're all about mindset and how you look at stuff. And that's what we try to coach the folks to, to change all of that. And to your point, take that, take that sales process most people are used to and turn it on their head. And I think what you mentioned is it's pretty phenomenal and it goes be above and beyond just sales. Um, but being prepared, right? I mean, it, it's really about the quality of the work that you do is, is about how much preparedness, how much upfront work you do before going into it. You know, it, it's definitely, yeah. it, it shows respect to the client or the person, you know, your prospect or, or whomever. Um, but you can, you can lay that down on, on an almost any aspect of business or, or life in general. Right. But I think that a lot of, a lot of people just wing stuff and hope for the best. And, and yeah. what I think, you know, I'm hearing from you and obviously I know because we've worked together, but building a process around this stuff, which is people think it's this art and there is definitely an art to building relationships and building trust, but it's repeatable through a process. Yes. Right. Yep. And, and you, you take all the good and you get rid of all the bad and you keep making it better and better and better, but you don't do that by just winging it. You do it by writing things down, by being prepared, by learning from your mistakes and, and really, you know, taking it to that next level. And that's, that's really what I see your value prop and what you bring to the table. And from my experience, and, and I assume from your clients' experiences, you know, that's what, that's what you're doing out there. Yeah. No, and that's what we're that's what we're trying to do for sure. Is just teach that different mindset so that it becomes just who we are versus what we do. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul, I think you know we're coming up on our time here. Definitely, I appreciate you and thank you so much for your time that you've invested in this call. I want to you know wrap up with maybe a a couple you know just quick quick, I don't know if I want to say, you know, lightning round questions, but, you know, a couple of things I'd like to peel back and maybe learn more about you. But what do you, what do you think? I'll, I'll give you a real couple of quick ones, right? So what drives you to do this? 
right? I mean, you're, you've been super successful. I, I assume, you know, you don't have to do this anymore, but you do it because you mm-hmm. enjoy it. But like, what, yeah. what drives you to, to do this? I, I love just helping, enjoying it. Yeah, I know. I love helping people, Craig. I mean, I think we're called to, to help others help. And, and I remember myself as a young salesperson, a sales leader. And, and when people came in and helped me and, and, and told me certain things and mentioned me along the way and, and help me learn certain things. I'm working with a group of young people now that I'm training and, you know, they're so grateful. They're just like, and, and I, and I think about it. It's like, God, I wish I would learned this stuff when I was their age. I wish I'd have learned, had someone teaching me these things when I was their age, because it would have changed it, the trajectory of my career at that time. And so it's just, it's just wonderful to help young people. It's wonderful to help these organizations work with good people. I mean, I, you're right. I'm blessed to choose people like you that I can work with, the people that I that I can, you know, become friends with and and, and grow with. Because that's always that's always the the goal is to to build lifelong relationships with the folks that you engage with. And I think that's what we we're all called to do. So yeah, I mean, that's yeah, I yeah. You're right. I don't have to do this. But it's kind of an honor when people ask me to help them with this, and I really appreciate it. I'm thankful. But I think, you know, I, I just, I could have went back to a Fortune 500 company or a large company and been a sales leader, but just feel like, you know, this calling has just been so much more rewarding to be able to help folks, you know, where they're at, meet them where they're at and help in any way that I can. Yeah. And I think that, that I mean, I know it because I've worked with you and I know you <laughs> and, you know, I can, I can feel the integrity just coming through. And I think that's huge. Yeah. You know, that's... Yeah. It, it's something that, that a lot of us search for out there is finding yeah. people that we can work with, you know, that, that we do trust and that, yeah. you know, there's a connection there. So yeah. another question for you, what, what would you, what would you tell your 25 year old self? <laughs> God, that's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I, slow down, I, speed up. <laughs> I would, I would say slow down. I would say slow down. I mean, it, it, when I was 25, I just, I, I, you know, I was in the midst of being a father and just trying to, you know, it was all about trying to make money. I was just, I was focused on trying to make money to take care of my family and all those things that, you know, you feel, feel pressure on. But I realized, you know, I remember my mentor, Bill Boyd, I, I, I said to him when I turned 40, I said, man, I'm turning 40 and getting so old. He looked at me and he says, I didn't know shit until I was 40. And then I just, and it all resonated. It started and, and that's when I stopped thinking about, I got to do this. I got to make money. I got to do, you know, I got to accomplish this. It's all about that grind all the time. And I stopped worrying about it. It wasn't like my money situation was all great or anything. It just, I just stopped worrying about it. And mm-hmm. the focus the changes. started coming. Yeah. yeah the focus was different and everything started coming. So I would absolutely try to learn. And I try to tell that. And I know it's hard when you're 25 and you're in the thick of it. But the reality is, is I, I really get to a point place where I just feel like I, you know, if I, if I could have just slowed down and, and focused on the good stuff and uh, then, then it all, it all ends up coming. And that's what ended up happening in my world. So. Right. Right. No, definitely. I, right. The, the younger you are, uh, you think, you know, everything. I remember how much I knew at 18. Right. And then 38, how much I didn't know. And then at 58, how much I knew I didn't, you know, I didn't know. And you just, you really do experience 
the more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it's hard to teach young youngsters. Boy, I'm like, I'm, I'm turning into yeah. my dad here. Right. Oh, no. Hard to teach I'm youngsters <laughs> patience. <laughs> it really is. I, I can't. Yeah, it really is. It really is. And, and you know, when you, when you, and it's different, you know, my kids are older now and it's, it's, you know, you have a different level of concern, but it's not the same when they're young. It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I, I remember every time I would go on a flight, I would be so scared that something would happen to that flight. And I, so I would buy that flight insurance. I would tell, tell people because I was so afraid that something happened to me, then, you know, my kids would not have food to eat or be able to be taken care of and all those kind of things that you, you, you hope for, you know, that you're doing when your kids are younger. So there's a different level of anxiety that, that comes with all of that. But it still doesn't matter. It's it, it's still it's still going to be there, and, and if you handle it differently, you just put yourself more at ease, and you tend to find yourself a lot more successful because of it. So. Right. So, so let me ask you. I'd say one last question, but I have one after that. But so, what would what's a what's a little something about Paul Mitchell? And and I have something in my head, but what's a little <laughs> something about Paul Mitchell that no nobody would know looking at you now? Uh, well, with greatness, somebody, you yes, know. yes. I, I grew up with uh, the artist Prince. He was one of my best friends growing up as a young man. We were, we were in programs together and, and stuff just, but we were just friends from grade six to 12. We were really, we were together almost every day. And uh, I didn't know he was as great as what he ended up being. I had no idea how talented he was. Uh, we were in Minneapolis. It wasn't music or any of that kind of stuff in Minneapolis. So I went on to, college and when i was 18 and freshman in college he called me and said i just started with one of brothers records and i'm like that's awesome i had no idea what it meant um and we all see that it's turned out to be but yeah right. he was uh, he and his brother were my two best friends growing up pretty much so that, that's such a great great thing i mean that's just amazing <laughs> yeah. um so it's only two degrees of separation for me then so that's cool that's right exactly so what, what did he what did what did you call him back then you didn't Prince. go by Prince? Oh, yeah. That's his real name. His name That's is his Prince. Real... His, his father had a group called Prince Rogers Trio. So he okay. named his son Prince, Prince Rogers Nelson. So that, that's Prince's real name. So, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Wow. He learned something every Fun. day. Fun fact. Cool. Yeah. Um, so any any parting advice for any business owners out there? Anything that you think people you know, should be aware of? I just say, ask for help. You know, I, I believe in this whole big outsource world out there. There's a lot of people that have some real great value that can help you. And, um, you know, depending on where you might need help, there's there's usually someone who can be that trusted advisor to you at some scale. And of course, you know, you want to make sure it's someone who's not out there just looking to make a buck and is truly wanting to help. But I found a lot of people that start doing the kind of stuff that I'm doing could probably do something else. Could probably might might even be able to retire. Could probably even have, go work for someone else for for more money that they make consulting, and they're usually doing it because they just really want to help people. And if you can find people like that that have the experience, I I recommend talking to them and just listening to them. And I think there's there's that opportunity out there for all of us. And I think the world is getting bigger because of the Zoom that way to be able to reach out to folks literally all over the country and all over the world get that kind of input. Well, cool. Thanks so much, Paul. I mean, I think that's some, that's some great parting advice, but you know, the last hour of our conversation doesn't feel like an hour. Um, <laughs> just yeah. sort of flew by for me. 
but really great stuff in there. I really appreciate your time and, and everything that you've done. And certainly, you know, our relationship and I value that. So last, 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 last question, which is, you know, if people want to get in touch with you, any, any specific ways, um, I mean, I'll definitely put the, you know, your contact info and the links on the web page, yeah. but yeah, do that. And I, you know, if you go to the sales acceleration website, S A L E S X C, it's, it's acceleration without the E. If you go to sales acceleration website, you can, you can look me up there. I have my own webpage and everything on there too. So uh, there's a link to that, but you know, it's best to reach me through email, put that information up for my cell phone and here in Los Angeles and I'll respond and be happy to help. Cool. All right, Paul, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And yeah, such a great conversation. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And always appreciate you. You take care. And that was Paul Mitchell, president of Mitchell Sales Advisors. What a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Always great to dive into the mind of a subject matter expert like Paul. There were certainly a lot of nuggets there. Whatever industry you serve, I think you'd have to agree sales is the key to not only growth, but sustainability. Thanks again, Paul, for sharing all this great info with our listeners. If you'd like to find out more about what Paul has to offer or want to connect with him, check out the show notes for more details. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. To learn more about this episode or hear previous episodes, check out the show notes at www.fpainc.com podcast. And if you like today's show, please do us a favor and share it with your friends. We'd really appreciate getting the word out there. And you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And while you're there, please do give us a review. Again, we'd really appreciate that. You can also write to us at podcast at fpainc.com. And if you want to send us a tweet, our handle on Twitter is at fpainc. I'm Craig Pollock, and you've been listening to the FPA Business Before Technology podcast. And remember, with FPA, it's always about business before technology. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.